You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. This is what we call a three technique. This is what we call a three technique. On the ride with Royster. Here we are in the last of the eighth, with the Red Sox trailing by seven runs. With DiMaggio on first and two away. Bobby Doerr lined one of Munger's pitches over the left field wall for a two-run homer. Now the score was eight to three. And did they rally to win? Or don't we know? Uh, we do not. Tune know in next week and find out. <laughs> I guess when you're that looking, was from the 1946 World Series. I guess so when I will, you're looking for. Uh, I guess <laughs> when you're looking for Bobby Doerr highlights from 1946, you can't be choosing. I right? love the old baseball yes. highlights with the recreation, yes, the clank. The recreation <laughs> clank. Uh, you know Tony O and uh, El is it Alberto? They when the they do Tuesdays and. Saturdays or Sundays, and when they're out of town, they do recreations. You're kidding? No, I did not oh, know that. Yeah. I thought if they I did understood them. Spanish, oh, that's great! I love the uh, recreations. Bobby Doerr, the oldest living Hall of Famer, age 99, has died. Uh, he died in Grants Pass, Oregon. He lived out there. Bobby Doerr was a second baseman, grew up on the West Coast, and. Uh, he started playing professionally at age 16 for, you know, the Pacific Coast League Jets uh, before the war. Uh, maybe not before the war, but certainly into the 30s was uh, almost the third major league. You know, you had mm-hmm. you had no teams west of St. Louis. So, you know, the Pacific Coast League. And look up their stats sometimes. They had regular seasons that were 220 games long. Oh, they'd my play, God. They wow. played from, like, February to November for a few years. Because wow. you know, it's weather. nice. Yeah, right. the weather. He played with the Hollywood Sheiks at oh, age 16. <laughs> they were actually the stars, but Hollywood High School had a nickname of the Sheiks, named after a Rudy Rudolph Valentino movie, <laughs> and they... Everybody called them the Sheiks, even though they were the stars. Bobby Orr played for uh, Bobby uh, Dor or Dor played for them, and then he uh, was signed by the uh, Red Sox, who were big on the West Coast. Ted Williams, Johnny Pesky, and Dom DiMaggio also played played for him and were great great players, of course. And uh, he went to the Red Sox, broke in in the late thirties. And he did. He went to the war for one year. He was in the war one year, but he was a great player, nine-time All-Star as a second baseman. And in 1980, he was not voted in by the baseball writers, but in 1986, the Veterans Committee voted him into the uh, Hall of Fame as a second baseman. Apparently a uh, wonderful guy, very quiet guy, lived out in Oregon, spent many years of his life taking care of his, uh, you know, basically just took care of his wife who had MS apparently. And uh, Bobby Orr has died, uh, Bobby Dorr, excuse me, has died at age 99. Don't worry, Bobby Orr 
maybe the greatest, second greatest hockey player ever, is still with us. He's still alive. <laughs> and, Bobby Dorr has passed away. And just because you mentioned Tonio in the Spanish broadcast, I need eight seconds of the best call in Twins oh, history. Okay. Que por cierto tiene aquí. When Jim Tomey hit the yeah. home run off Thornton. Still the best moment. <laughs> oh, in, my God, uh, that was great. Still the best moment in target field. And by the yes, way, by, uh, not yes. even close. Yes. And yep. by the way, the Red Sox did not rally in that game four against the Cardinals. Oh, no. They went on to lose 12-3. to three. Oh. But he hit a home run off Munger, damn it. That's and right. He would, uh, Bobby Doerr would go on to hit 409 in that World really? Series for the Red Sox. Who won so. the series? Uh, the Cardinals. Well, wasn't the Red Sox, obviously. <laughs> right. They, the, uh, it was won. the Birds. The Cardinals won in uh, yeah. seven games. Yes, it couldn't have been the Red Sox because they didn't win. That's right. I heard about that. 2004. <laughs> yeah, I heard about that, too. <laughs> I just thought I was going to be fine, you know. I'm just okay. My pelvis is broken, you know. I'm a pretty tough guy. I can handle... Uh, Handle the pain, you know. It just didn't occur to me um, that uh, you know that this was going on. He said, "Look," he said, "I want to tell you guys something. You guys don't know how lucky you are." And I said, "Yeah, we're lucky. We had you guys." And he goes, "No." He goes, "These these types of injuries result in death twenty five to thirty percent of the time." I'm like, "Oh my god!" You know, well, I feel better now. Uh, Ned Yost, the manager of the Royals uh, down uh, near, down in Georgia, he always uh, lives. Uh, he, that's where he spends the off season. Good Southern boy. He was on a tree stand uh, hunting deer in the uh, outside of Atlanta. Took a twenty foot fall on November fourth. Uh, broke his pelvis. Uh, finally used his cell. He used his cell phone to call. Uh, and said, hey, I fell out of the tree. And uh, later on, the uh, people who uh, treated him at the hospital said that he would have died if he hadn't gotten immediate attention because he was internally bleeding when he broke mm. his pelvis. Wow. There's no doubt I would have bled out if I didn't have my cell phone with me, Yo uh, said. There was nobody uh, that was coming. Nobody would have found me. I would have been dead by nightfall. Yost is an avid hunter. And uh, he uh, was, uh, you know, doing what you do down there. Now, there are deer down there about the size of a small dog. But uh, they, those Southerners like uh, to go hunting. And uh, Ned Yost uh, almost uh, uh, croaked. He's still living off the glory of that World Series, though. There was, uh, they had a very disappointing year this year. They're now headed into a rebuild with all the free agents they're going to lose, but uh, he's uh, still their manager. He did not. Uh, I thought maybe he might get run out because he was close to getting run out. Before they before went on the run. Before they yeah. went on the one in the World Series. Uh, longtime backup uh, catcher, uh, kind of the... Chris Jimenez type, right? Mm -hmm. Only probably not as good a hitter. Did he have a couple of stints before the Royals, too? Uh, yeah, he, he managed uh, Milwaukee. Milwaukee, okay. and was uh, not terribly successful. So We walked into a very great opportunity, but a situation that you had to address some things to be able to get to where you need to go, and we're right in the middle of that process. And at no time through any of those days has Dr. Zinger been anything other than unbelievably supportive. Uh, same thing with our new chancellor, same thing with our former chancellor. The vision, the vision that they have, I just really appreciate. It's quite a vision uh, Kansas has in football. <laughs> Uh, David Beatty, I take it that was football coach David Beatty yes, at it was, Kansas. Yeah. Uh, he's the guy they re, uh, hired. He was the recruiter at Baylor, was it? Where was he? One of the uh, A and M, one of those schools. In uh, in December, 
Kansas gave Beatty a two-year contract extension through 2021 and a raise to $1.6 million for the 2017 season. He had been the lowest, probably the lowest paid coach in uh, Power 5 football down there at Kansas. And for damn good reason. 3-31 and 31 at Kansas and 1-24 and 24 in the Big 12. A uh, and yet today, uh, the University of Kansas Chancellor, no, on Monday, David Gerard came out and reiterated his support for David Beatty, University of Kansas. And you know what? In retrospect, Mace was a miracle worker, yes, he was. He had him fourth in the country one year, but yeah. you know what this means to grow, you must fail. And you know what? They should have, I wanted him to hire plays. When they were hired, this guy. Okay. Because, you know, they did well with a fat guy before. Yeah, big Tracy would have been at home. Mangino did good, and then he went bad. But Tracy's affable in a quiet way. And that's home, right? Mangino was a jerk. But, you know, but he he was a very good offensive corner. By the way, I stood behind him in San Antonio, (laughs) you know, and I was full figured. You're talking about Trace or Mangino? Mangino. Got it. Covering the Final Four, San Antonio of the year, Kansas won it with uh, okay. beat Memphis in the finals. Great Final Four. Uh, but he was sitting, they they had the Alamo Dome there, and they have some temporary bleachers, and they had a path through there. Okay. I had no shot. <laughs> <laughs> I had no shot. I had to come back out, go down, and find a new path out there. Because he was standing there, and I think a... You know, a size two gal might have been able to slide on by him. But you had. But a 300-pound no. tub from Minnesota no. trying to get a by a 425-pound <laughs> tub from Kansas. No shit. No. And, and I'll repeat, if if you're listening and you want to get a visual yes. of Mark Mangino, go to the Dan Lebetard Show Twitter page uh-huh. and look at the profile picture. It's a picture <laughs> of Mark Mangino you know. standing next to... To the orange to the orange bowl oh mascot. It's I wonder, fantastic. I wonder what he did. I wonder if he's done anything because there's no way he can still be with us if he's still walking around at that. He's time. well, he's on I somebody's think, coaching staff right yeah, now. Yeah, I know, but I mean, my or he God, was he on weighed four coach. bills. Remember yeah. the T-shirts down there? Our coach can eat your coach. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was there was one. Kansas was playing somebody, and somebody was hold somebody somebody in the stands was holding up a sign that said Mangino's thinking Arby's. What if Andy Reid hired him and Clay's? Oh, Andy would look like uh, Andy would look like the leanest guy you ever saw for a guy. And then they could hire the baby Richard Patino, right? (laughs) By comparison. All righty, we'll be back with Rich again and uh, talking NFL. Talking purple right now on the ride with Royce. Rich Gannon, the quarterback, the league MVP. It's former Vikings quarterback and current CBS NFL analyst Rich Gannon. Rich Gannon is with us talking purple. The Vikings have a unique uh, quarterback controversy. Uh, I was saying that most quarterback controversies in the NFL now are about who's Who's the least awful? This one is, uh, who's better, Case or Ted? Which way should they go? Well, you know what? It, it is a good situation, Pat. I would say this. You know, I, I, I think there's 12 teams in the league right now, at least, that aren't happy with the starter. Yes. I think there's 24 teams in the league right now that 
can't stand the backup quarterback that they have and don't have any confidence in him. And I don't think the yes. Vikings are one of those teams. I think it's a great situation for the Vikings that they have you know, a bunch of quarterbacks they feel really comfortable with. I think it would be foolish at this point for Mike Zimmer to make a change. I mean, you look at this team, they've won five straight games. Uh, Case Keenum has played well. He's thrown twice as many touchdowns as interceptions. The team has rallied around him. I think he's got the confidence of the coaching staff and the players. And this has not, this is not, this isn't uh, anything against Teddy Bridgewater. It's just that, you know, right now, this guy's playing well. Why rock the boat? And, you know, and Teddy needs, the more reps Teddy gets in practice, the better he, he's going to be when he does, in fact, get a chance to play again. And I would say to you that the speed of the game is going to be significantly different for a guy that hasn't played in so long. So I think it would be a big mistake. I went through this as a player when, you know, I played at the end of the, 97 season, we were 13-3 in Kansas City, yep. and Marty Schottenheimer and his infinite wisdom decided to make a change and put Elvis Gerbach in there. We we went out losing to the Broncos and John Elway at home, and uh, we obviously are, we were one and done in the postseason. So I, I think it would be a mistake when everything's telling you that why make a change with a kid that's really played pretty well for the Vikings. I was at that game, by the way, the uh, Elvis Gerbach game. Uh, oh, yeah. Kind of a puzzling uh, one. A very despondent Kansas City group of, group of fans leaving that day. I would imagine. <laughs> yes, that's uh, that's true. So, uh, well, the only thing I'll say is deep in his heart, Zimmer wants Teddy to be the quarterback. So we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. But I, my original thought after seeing Zimmer's quotes yesterday were, okay, he's going to go to Teddy. But. The other thing is, you got two games in eleven days. Maybe, uh, maybe you wait and then see how that ten-day period where you, you know, after you play in Detroit, you know. Yeah, the only thing that you know, again, we don't. I don't have the ability to be out of practice every day, be in the building, and know exactly what's going on. I don't have that intimate knowledge. But you know, unless you know, Case Keen struggles in practice. You know, the ball's hitting the ground a lot. There's, you know, and you just say, well, the other guy's been so much better. I mean, you look at Teddy, he hasn't missed a throw in practice. He's, you know, yeah. we know we're a better team. Then at that point, maybe you say, mm, you know, we, we feel really good that Teddy's going to step in there and we're not going to miss a beat and he's going to play well. But if it's, if it's close and both quarterbacks are moving, the, you know, you know, throwing the ball around well, I mean, I don't think you make a change. I just, you know, let the thing play out. I mean, you know, that you, you've got a great situation, but don't force your hand when you don't have to. So we got this kid from Detroit Lakes, Minnesota, who ended up uh, going to Mankato State, uh, which is what I still call it. And, uh, you know, he's uh, wasn't really recruited by too many people. Uh, Mr. Thielen, now he's wide open every time they look for him. What is, what, why, what is the secret of this guy? Have you had a chance to study him much? I have. You know, you know I, first of all, you can tell he's a smart player. I think he understands coverages. I think he understands, you know, the holes, and he does a nice job adjusting his routes. He, you know, you can tell he's a very disciplined route runner. He gets his depth. He's does a nice job transitioning in and out of cuts. He's got good change of direction ability. I mean, he, he makes plays when the ball's in his hands. I and I also think that the quarterback has a comfort level with him. I, and as a former quarterback, I can speak to that. And when you drop back, not that you just look for one guy, but if, if there's certain plays in the, in the system where you have mirrored reads or you have mirrored routes and you just say all things being equal, I'm going to give Adam a chance to make a play because I trust him. I know that he's got a, 
you know, big catching radius. He, you know, he'll make the difficult catch. He'll, he'll be in the right place at the right time. And that's important. I mean, that, having the confidence that the receiver's going to do the right thing. He's going to make the right adjustment versus, versus press coverage or versus off coverage and those type of things. And, and not only that, but he's delivered in critical situations, third down, the red zone, and two-minute drive. So, um, look, I'm happy for him only because he is a local product, Pat, as you point out. And his story's incredible. I mean, he didn't come into the league with a silver spoon in his mouth. He was a, kind of a diamond in the rough. And he's worked his way to becoming one of the better, better players at his position. And, I, you know, I think right now, with you leading the NFC and, and re- receiving yards or catches, whatever it is, I mean, yeah, he's had right. a terrific he's, season. I think he's third and third in the NFL in, in the in the catcher's department it's uh it is I've been, I've been trying to think of a comparable I uh you know of uh certainly not in Viking history I've been trying to think of a D2 guy that uh, yeah. uh you know spent basically three years of his first four or five running down on special teams and getting in and, for a few plays and there's nothing when you watch him it's not like oh my gosh he's a 4-4 guy he just yeah. you know he takes the top off the defense or he's just you know it's just that he's He's ultra competitive. He's, he's he's a gamer. He's a gutsy guy. He's tough. He does the little things that you know don't require a ton of talent, um, like you know blocking and catching and you know just hustling and doing you know. And I think that he's he's won over the trust of his of his teammates, especially the quarterbacks, and that's so important at that position. Yeah, it's uh, Shermer's getting a lot of a credit. Have you uh, always been kind of a Shermer guy as far as offense is concerned? I like that. I, I think he's fundamentally sound. I think he sees the game through the eyes of the quarterback. I followed his path. I mean, he's a guy that's been at this a long time. I, I remember when he was coaching Bradford with the Rams. You know, I've watched him in Philly. I, I was covering him as the head coach in Cleveland where he got a kind of a bum, rat, bum you know, kind of got screwed over there. But um, he's done a terrific job. And I think you look at what he did with Bradford last year when, you know, they basically they got him from Philly and they, they got him up to speed quickly and he, you know, really – Set a single season franchise record with completion percentage in the season, and now you got another guy, and he, this kid's playing well. So I think it speaks. I think it says something about the job that the coordinator's done, getting these guys not only ready but comfortable in the system. Yeah, and I think getting fired by the Cleveland Browns is almost a gold star, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, that's... Hey, yeah, that's like um, you're right. I mean, the poor guy there now, Hugh Jackson. How about oh. this, Pat? They're the only team in the NFL history to start two seasons 0 and 9. Mm-hmm. So you know he's one in twenty four, and he's he obviously he's going to make it to the end, of, the end of the year. But he's going to get fired. The front office is going to get fired. They're going to start over again in Cleveland. What a what a what a mess! Running that quarterback sneak down there on the goal line. I Not think sure. I think he was trying to get fired and collect his money, but uh, the guy won't fire him. Haslam uh, Has, Haslam won't fire him until the end of the year. Apparently, well, they've got. And I don't think they have anyone else on the staff that they'd feel comfortable no. making the head coach, and so. It is what it is. Some of these coaches, they, they don't hire you know, the, the guy that they feel threatened by. They hire some young guys, and they figure, well, if I get fired, they're not, they're not, not going to fire me in the season, during the season because they're not going to promote one of these guys. You, know, you, you don't hire a Dick LeBeau or a North Turner because you know that you know, if something goes south, that they'd fire you in a heartbeat and promote those guys. But some of these guys, it's, I scratch my head at their thinking. Uh, how can the Browns have consistently built this absolute mess? It's just amazing now. You know, their fans their fans are afraid to stay away from the games that they might lose another franchise, so they still fill it up. But uh, they've had, what, one playoff appearance in 23 years or whatever it is? Oh, it's and, terrible. You know, and I haven't been to Cleveland this year, thank God, to call a game for CBS, but... 
I would say that, you know, you're right about the fans. They continue to come out. And if they could ever get a winner there, man, that would be an incredible, that's a total, you know, they obviously they've got a good basketball program there, but it's a, it's a football town. They love their, the Browns. They come out and support them uh, through thick and thin. And, and uh, I think eventually they'll get it fixed. The owner has not helped. He's made some really poor decisions when it comes to hiring, particularly the general manager and the head coach. And, of course, they can't figure out the quarterback you, know, you draft johnny manzel and, you know those type of decisions they just continue to come back and haunt you hey the rams uh coming into town here how good are they they're really good and they're, they're number one in the nfl in scoring they're just just under 33 points a game and if someone asked me yesterday what's the difference between jared goff this year and last year i said mm, how about coaching rob boris was a guy who was a tight ends coach at jeff fisher his infinite wisdom promoted to be the play caller, and he just wasn't ready for it. And they all, I mean, the team was bad, and they struggled. And poor Jerry Goff went 0-7. Uh, he got a chance to watch Case Keenum, and they finally threw him out there, and he got he got eaten alive. He threw more interceptions and touchdowns. But this year they bring in Sean McVay. They bring in a, a really good left tackle on Andrew Whitworth. They go and get him a couple of receivers. Now all of a sudden the kid looks like, you know, maybe you know he's, he's going to be a pro bowler. He's thrown... I think he's like thrown 16 touchdowns and four picks, something like that. He's, he's having, if it weren't for Brady, uh, he, you know, he, he, well, he's probably in the mix for, you know, I mean, for MVP. I mean, he's probably down the line. He's certainly in the top 10. He's had that kind of a year. And he looks really good. They've got a good running game. Uh, they, they don't shoot themselves in the foot. And they're playing pretty good on defense. Again, the Vikings are going to have a hands full because they're putting up a lot of points. Just, just under 33 points a game. Yeah, they kind of uh, they were not much in the first half on uh, on uh, uh, Sunday, but then they uh, then they got it rolling again and uh, got some big plays there. Those ninety seven yard touchdown passes have a tendency to break a game open. It's good for your stats. Too. <laughs> of, course, I never, of course, I never had any of them, but they do help and, and they help your yards per attempt. But yeah, the kid's playing well. He's he's got some size. He's gotten a little bit stronger. You can tell. I think he's really he looks much more comfortable in the system. I think that. McVay's done a nice job. I think putting together a plan where the kid can um, get the ball out quick, make good decisions. Um, you know, that's the thing that's been impressive about about you know Goff. I mean, last year he threw, you know, he turned the ball over a lot in seven games. This year he's been really good through nine games. You know, he's he's thrown just the I think the four interceptions. He's taking care of the football, making good decisions. He's been better in situational football too, Pat. You look at those guys in the red zone and third down and two minute situations. He's done a nice job. I'm moving the team. Hey, uh, the the storyline a month ago is: Are there any good teams? Now you look at the NFC: Philadelphia, the Rams, the Vikings. Uh, you know, Carolina's somehow hanging. You know, hanging in there, winning games. Uh, the NFC's not bad. No, it's not. And you know, I was impressed by what I saw from Carolina last night. You look at you can say what you want about Cam Newton. You and I have talked on the show about some of the struggles he's had throwing the football, but. He is making plays with his legs, and we saw it again last night. You know, he almost ran for a big touchdown. He finally got pulled down from behind. But you know, um, their defense is really good, and they can run the ball with with the two backs. And the quarterback is is included in that mix when it comes to running and making plays off the scramble. And they're they're gonna they're gonna get Greg Olson back here pretty quickly. And so I wouldn't count out the the Panthers. That's a it's a good football team in the NFC South.
He and uh, LeBron are the same guy, man. When LeBron's coming down the lane, oh, all yeah. these people are saying, eh, I don't really know if I want to take this charge, and I think Newton's got a little of that in him, too. Do I really want to tackle this guy, you know? He, he's a big man. He's 6'5", <laughs> and he's 245 pounds, and he doesn't, you know, he's not your typical quarterback that when you see him coming, you know you can just, just knock him out. He's, he can push you. He can knock you backwards. He's a, you know... He, he'll lower the shoulder on you, he's, but he's been smart about not taking the unnecessary hits. And he's a uh, he's a guy that's kind of fought through it because I, I still think he's missing some throws. But remember, he missed all of training camp with that uh, with that shoulder injury, and um, he's he, he looks to me like he's 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 starting to he's starting to figure things out, and he could be dangerous here in the second half. Of the uh, one last thing, Rich, I wanted to mention it. Uh, you know, Joey Browner was uh, really good, and uh, of course, Paul, Paul Krause had all the interceptions, but uh, I, I don't know if the Vikings have ever had a better player on the back end than Harrison Smith. <laughs> you know, I always say that like at that position, there's a couple different types of players. There, there's the there's the middle third, the deep half player, the center fielder, the guy that wants to stay down, you know, just not have anything get over his head and, and keep all everything in front of him. He's not that player. He feels like every ball that gets thrown is thrown in his direction was, was meant for him, and he plays that way. He's a very aggressive guy. He takes aggressive angles. He jumps certain routes. He reads very smart. You know, you can see him read formations and splits and alignments and he understands you know down and distance and he's he's terrific i mean he's a he does it all he's he's a linebacker he's a, when you yeah, need one too he right? can play at all three levels he can, he can play him down the line of scrimmage he can play at the second level he can play back in the middle of the field excellent tackler um excellent blitzer and just i mean he's just a complete player at that position he's having another pro bowl year Thanks, Rich. Talk to you next week, sir. All right, buddy. All right, uh, Rich Gannon, our Tuesday guest. Glad to have him. We shall return. This is The Ride with Racing. Here's Johnny Height with three minutes of a sports update. Uninterrupt us. <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. This update sponsored by Office Depot Office Max. You've had a big year, so treat yourself to great deals on tech and furniture at Office Depot Office Max. You deserve it. Office Depot Office Max, taking care of business. The Vikings getting ready for Sunday's game against the 7-2 and L.A. Rams. Now, we don't know if this means anything, but our guy uh, Ben Gessling reporting, tweeting that Case Keenum We'll be talking with reporters tomorrow. Bum, bum, bum. That's, of course, the slot the starting quarterback usually talks with reporters Wednesdays. So uh, we'll see what happens from there. Minnesota's GM Rick Spielman unhappy with Fox's decision to go with Greg Olson in the broadcasting booth for the Vikings-Rams game. Olson, who's on injured reserve with a foot injury for the Panthers, can come back in Week 12 against the Jets. The Vikings play the Panthers on December 10th. Spielman reportedly said he thinks it's inappropriate for him to broadcast the Vikings game, but Fox says they intend to keep Olsen on the Vikings game, but with less pregame access to Minnesota. They're naming managers of the year this hour. The Twins' Mall, uh, Paul Molitor, one of the three nominees for the American League spot. Unfortunately, the first half hour of the show dedicated to the National League. That award went to Tori Lavulo of the Arizona Diamondbacks. We will find out the American League winner oh, within the next 20 minutes or so. Okay. I'm keeping an eye on it, John. At a boy. Diligently, I thought you were just looking at your Facebook like usual. I'm you know. betting on AJ. Yeah, they should take Lavello's award away though for those god awful uniforms in Arizona. <laughs> 
He had a very wily bench coach. That yes, helped. he did. That's right. With an Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> Minnesota Wild at home tonight. They're playing the Philadelphia Flyers at the Excel Energy Center. Good injury note uh, for the Wild. Uh, Char- uh, Charlie Coyle uh, did skate today ahead of the Philadelphia game. He broke his right leg back on October 12th, had surgery involving some hardware to reset his fibula. Uh, Coyle said he skated on his own Monday and once last week as well. The initial diagnosis was six to week, uh, eight weeks out, but Coyle's hesitant to put a time marker on a recovery schedule as to when he could play again. You know, I'd, I'm kind of fading because I didn't even consider going to the game tonight. Oh, last, wow. last time they were home, I was considering it. Now I'm kind of faded out. So. <laughs> and the uh, chief medical officer for the NFL defending the Indianapolis Colts treatment of quarterback Jacoby Brissett, who was allowed to come back into Sunday's game after a hit to the back of his head in the game against the Steelers. He was placed into the NFL's concussion protocol when he reported symptoms after the game. Dr. Alan Sills said all the protocols were followed. Uh, Sills added that Brissett had no symptoms and there were no findings during the game to prevent him from returning to the game. All right, Johnny, that was fantastic. (laughs) Thank you very much. Yes. The Ride with Roycey. I don't want to go much further, but... Right. You've gone far <laughs> enough. On 1500 ESPN. The Ride with Roycey now continues. Personal file, 69. Offense, he's giving them the business. It's time for Late Hits. You know what tongues are doing in the competitive world of Scrabble? Oh, I saw this. They are wagging. Alan Simmons, one of the game's top British players, has been barred from tournaments for three years after an inquiry concluded that he had broken the rules of the word game. And you know what he'd done, don't you, Reavers? I do. And Manny? Uh, he is accused of putting a hand with fresh with freshly drawn letter tiles <laughs> back into a bag wow. to draw more favorable tiles. <laughs> he has denied wrongdoing, but he's not. Uh, he's not uh, challenging the three year suspension. Now is he is uh, he is he pulling the. Rick Pitino route where he said, I don't I didn't know that that was against the rules. Well, I know he's not really he's not saying uh they they apparently kept this covered up. Uh, the punishment was imposed by the Association of British Scrabble Players, and they got to be some tight asses, don't you think? Oh, they take <laughs> it very Association seriously. Of British Scrabble Players. Uh, they didn't want to make it public, but it got out and the New York Times has a story on it today. Uh, Nikki Hootson, who has overseen the Broad Strayers Seaside Special in southern England next year, that's a tournament, we should go, <laughs> said the ban was not very positive for the game, and that's why most of us don't want to talk about it. When the news of the ban broke on Monday in the Times of London, Ellie Dangor, a leading figure in the Association of British Scrabble Players, said in a statement, that Mr. Simmons had been a huge part of the game's development, and uh, they're very upset about it. Simmons, 60, could not be reached for comment on the accusations, but uh, he was ratted out for doing the following. Uh, The Scrabble Group inquiry began with a complaint about Mr. Simmons' behavior in the British Masters Tournament last June. Uh, 
the uh, organizers of the 2016 Skyder's Masters Tournament then came forward with a similar accusation. So what they have there is they have a bag of the tiles yep. on the side, yep. right? Mm-hmm. You're supposed to have it shoulder high, uh, but a lot of them keep it laying down on a chair. Because it's easier to reach. Yeah. Yeah. And he's accused of reaching in, not liking a letter, throwing it, or bringing out two. You're only supposed to bring out one. And then he kind of gives it the glance. Bring it in two and, and doesn't like one. He gets an X or something, a Q. You know, Qs aren't easy. <laughs> no. And he throws They're worth it a back lot of points, in. though. You know, I don't know if I'm more offended by Rick Patino or this cheating and Scrabble. That's a low point. <laughs> That's a low all, point. All the cheating and Scrabble I'm familiar with is trying to get by with words that aren't really words, right? <laughs> right. I mean, that's the way we play it. It's we, like Stephen A. Smith yeah. making up words on set. Yeah, mm-hmm. like uh, cowies, C-O-W-I-E-S. It's that's six, multiple it's cows. Six, it's, six, it's six letters, uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff. 57 points. But we have, we have cheating in big-time competitive you know, Scrabble. I attempted to track down in the Twin Cities... A Scrabble guest today and could not find one. Uh, every, Do we have a local chapter? We have, uh, yeah, we have some local tournaments, but every phone number I called was a home phone that's been disconnected because they all got cell phones now. Sure. You know, you know, if I was Allison from the warranty company, <laughs> I could have tracked down these people, but I'm not. I'm just a lowly old sport writer. Oh, my goodness. Uh, cheating in Scrabble. What is this world coming up to? Jerry Jones has been threatened by the uh, yep. the committee that's in charge of Roger Goodell's uh, contract extension, and guess what? Jerry has said he will not back off. Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones said he will not back off the threat of suing the NFL and several other owners if the compensation committee comes to an agreement with Commissioner Roger Goodell on an extension. He uh, he's served about sixty percent, roughly sixty five percent of this contract. He has eighteen months left. We've got all the time in the world to evaluate what we're doing. We've got all the time in the world to extend them. We just need to slow this train down and have a lot of time to discuss the issues at hand in the NFL and have a good, fair input from all the owners, which we're not getting. Uh, Jones said he has not received any cease and desist notice from the compensation committee. The New York Times reported that. Uh, go get him, Jerry. What the hell? Don't you like to see these two bloody Absolutely. Oh, yeah. scumbags going after each other? Leangelo Bell, Cody Riley, and Jalen Hill, uh, who had been d- detained in China for a week on suspicion of shoplifting, are headed back to the United States and scheduled to arrive later Tuesday. They have been released from Chinese custody. Apparently, the president of the United States uh, made something of a... Uh, the, the players' return came hours after Donald Trump said that he was hopeful that they would be allowed to return after he had a long conversation with China's president. So uh, the Trumpster can. That's what he does. He resolves issues. He gets issues. shoplifters out of jail in China. <laughs> we should appreciate him for that. That is sure. Tonight, Wild at Home versus Philadelphia. I'm very confused of why we have back-to-back games with the Flyers. Didn't wasn't our last game with the Flyers? No, beat them uh, sad or was it Saturday when they played? Yeah, them? didn't they beat them one? Zuc- and Zucker had the only one-all. goal. Oh, okay, wasn't it? I, I, I forgot. It was, it was Friday or Saturday. Yeah. yeah. What the hell's wrong with these people? 
And the, uh, the Timberwolves uh, home against the Spurs tomorrow. I have a late-breaking item, Patrick. Okay. The 2017 American League Manager of the Year is Paul Molitor. Wow! Congratulations, well, I didn't think Molly. He would make it. Yay! Hey, way to go, Molly. That's uh, that's pretty good. Who's ever was writing uh, tomorrow's column for the Star Tribune's got to start all over again. Right? <laughs> <laughs> now, that, uh, now that Paul Molitor has won it. All right. Well, that tells you what the that tells you what the baseball writers of America thought of the Twins going into last season, right? And then, well, yeah, and it's always based upon the the biggest turnaround, typically, yeah, right? Not always. Not yeah. always. Sometimes when a guy wins a thousand games, I thought Hinch would win, but uh, hey. Way Congratulations, go, Molly. Molly. Well deserved. And boy, I bet our guys feel good that they extended him instead of fired him like they wanted to in the middle of September. All righty, we'll be back with a hard hitting Super Bowl show. The ride with Royce. Calculating a new route. It's funny to hear a female talk about routes. It's route. 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 Recalculating. The ride with Royce on 1500 ESPN. 1500 ESPN presents. 52 super stories leading up to the big game. Brought to you by Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold, where you always get straight talk, not sugar-coated advice. Here's Patrick Royce. We did this last week, talked to you about Bob McGinn's book on the Super Bowl, aptly named the Ultimate Super Bowl book. It had its second edition published after the 2012 game when the Giants upset the unbeaten Patriots in Super Bowl 46 in Glendale, Arizona. That was also the last Super Bowl that I covered and among the most memorable. I'm looking forward to covering another one in uh, Minneapolis in February. McGinn's book contains many top 10 lists, including the top 10 characters that's probably my favorite list and we went through the uh, five through ten last week but I wanted to stop and get to my number one all-time favorite Super Bowl character number four on McGinn's list Thomas Hollywood Henderson linebacker Cowboys Super Bowls 10 12 and 13 after filling up every reporter's notebook all week long, Hollywood snorted liquid cocaine during the game from an inhaler that he concealed in his uniform pants. But what an athlete this guy was. He ran 4-3 as a linebacker, and they used to give him the ball on reverses on kickoffs, and not he could have played anywhere on the field. Number three on the list of all-time characters, and he maybe should be higher, uh, Joe Namath. The photos of Namath sitting poolside surrounded by writers and bathing beauties are enduring images of Super Bowl three. His guarantee of victory was the stuff of legends. I know we're going to win. I have that attitude. I feel that way, and it's not overconfidence thing. It's football sense. Namath has not been bashful this week, and he has said that the Jets are going to win. He doesn't even predict it. He said, I guarantee. And you know what? That game made the Super Bowl. The first two years, they weren't selling out, and then Namath came along. Number two, Jim McMahon, quarterback, Bears, Super Bowl 20 in New Orleans. I was at that one. Boy, did he keep us moving. Uh, mooning news helicopters, ripping Bears management, carousing on Bourbon Street, allegedly insulting the residents of the Big Easy. Each new day, a new headline involving McMahon. It certainly did. And number one, Max McGee, receiver, Packers. 
Packers. First Super Bowl after an all-nighter with a blonde from Chicago. And then Boyd Dollar went down on the second play of Super Bowl number one. And of course, McGee had the game of his life to review. Here's the top ten characters. Uh, Max McGee, Jim McMahon, Joe Namath, Thomas Hollywood Henderson, Fred Williamson, Shannon Sharp, John Riggins, John Matuzic, Dwayne Thomas, and Brett Favre. If you want to read uh, Bob McGinn's football coverage these days, just go to Bob McGinn Football, M-C-G-I-N-N. It's a very well-done website that uh, I have started to follow. 52 Super Stories continues next week. Brought to you by Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold, where you always get straight talk, not sugar-coated advice. And for more details on Super Bowl 52 coming to the Twin Cities in 2018, sign up for the host committee email at mnsuperbowl.com.